Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Chapter 35 The Banker William Johnson Year 210 A.T.W. After the Wizard Graft Verb the act of abusing one's position of power and influence, in order to acquire money, personal gain, or advantage, through dishonest, unfair, or illegal practices. Grafter. Noun. One who acquires money by abusing political power or influence. William Johnson was the banker of a small village known as Menden. Never in his wildest dreams did he imagine what would become of him when the stranger wandered through with his following. He was a large, bald man with a gut that pushed out over the waist of the pants he convinced himself he could fit into. He was attracted to power, and if he could not have it, he was always happy to settle for being near it. He very quickly found himself in the good graces of the stranger, who by this time had amassed a modest following of people. It was William Johnson's idea for the stranger to take him in as a financial advisor, someone to collect dues from anyone wanting to join. This was an idea that required little convincing. And so... The man who had joined the company only a few short months after Simon Magus had risen so high in the order that he was nearly untouchable. After years of collections and a consistent flow of new members, William Johnson found himself in charge of a substantial amount of money. When there was no money to be donated to the cause, there was always some sort of trinket or bauble to be gifted to it. Sometimes this gift was something as simple as a blanket. Other times, it was something more elaborate, like a small sculpture or work of art. Whatever the payment, though, it went through William Johnson first, before making its way to the stranger. William was the gatekeeper. He was the man that could stand in your way of progress. He could be as generous or as kind as he wanted. He could also be as vicious and vile as he felt necessary. His temperament was entirely up to him and him alone. The stranger placed him in this rule of power and left him to his own devices. He did not seem to care how the following grew so long as it grew. And William helped it grow. 
So the tale of William Johnson's greed-fueled demise started here. As the treasury grew bigger and bigger, his cart and his tent fuller and fuller, temptation grew stronger and stronger. It started out as only a gold coin here or there, and progressed to only a few pieces here and there. And over time, he collected a personal stash of funds so big that he could leave the order at any time and be just fine. The ruler of a small city, perhaps. Maybe even the ruler of a large city. But why stop there, when the throne of Emerald was still up for grabs? Yes, the throne to the city that everyone thought would be the most sought-after piece of real estate was still vacant. Stories floated around the countryside of Emerald being invaded by an army of young girls, a military armed with nothing more than knitting needles, believe it or not. It was a successful invasion, as it occurred only days after the wizard's death, but it was a short-lived reign. It turns out that once the girls found out the city was nothing but a grand illusion, and the roads were not, in fact, paved with beautiful emeralds, they lost all interest and left it just as they found it. Perhaps this was the case for anyone else looking to seize immediate royalty and respect. William Johnson was not known for being patient. He could now afford the finest clothes. His cart was elaborate, and he carried himself with such disgusting pomp and arrogance that he could pass for royalty, even with no experience. He started with the most underprivileged followers. If you come with me to Emerald, you can have your pick of the finest homes. You can live large, have the life you always dreamed of. And all you gotta do is follow me there. Believe in me, and your debts will be wiped clean, and you will be granted a fresh start. This seemed to be working, as he slowly but surely grew his own small following of defectors. Maybe it was greed, maybe it was karma, or maybe it was just stupidity. But his plan fell apart the second he approached a man by the name of Bonturo. A man of ill repute himself. So let me get this straight, said Bonturo, pompously as he ate the roasted leg of some kind of large bird. You want me to drop everything and follow you? to Emerald. Keep your voice down, insisted William quietly, as he looked to the tent's opening. If you're not interested, that's fine. 
Just keep your voice down. Keep my voice down, Bonturo said loudly with a hearty laugh. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You think the stranger is just going to let you run off with his money. You think he's not going to notice you trying to sneak off with that cart of yours. I don't know if you realize this, but your cart is so full of gold, it jingles with even the slightest breeze. At that moment, a coincidental breeze drifted through the air, and the sound of William's cartload of money could, in fact, be heard several yards away. <laughs> no, I am not going anywhere with you. What I am going to do, however, is not mention this little proposition to the stranger. And he took another bite. Yeah, well, thanks, said a rather insulted William Johnson. <laughs> oh, don't be thanking me yet, said Bonturo with a mouthful. You did not allow me to finish. He continued to chew loudly and swallow just as loudly before continuing. <laughs> I am not going to tell the stranger about this proposition of yours, so long as you split your ill-gotten gains with me. Fuck you. You want half my money? Extortion. That's your game, huh? Do I have that right? As a matter of fact, said Bonchuro, wiping greasy saliva from his foul mouth. You do not have that right. I want seventy percent. Seventy percent? exclaimed William. Keep your voice down. Seventy percent is my going rate. I can't claim Emerald and retain my following with thirty percent of what I have. Not my problem, replied Bonturo. Fifty-five percent. Are you really trying to negotiate with me? Fine. Seventy. Seventy-five. Seventy-five? Just a minute ago it was seventy. Inflation, replied Bonturo flatly. Seventy, replied William sternly. I can't go more than that. I won't go more than that. Looks like we have a grafter in our midst, screamed Bonchuro as he pulled William from his tent and threw him into the commons of the encampment. This man has been stealing from the stranger. Stealing from the stranger means stealing from you. William looked up at him with hatred and scorn in his eyes. Planning on leaving like a thief in the night. 
taking his ill-gotten gains to claim the city of Emerald. Most of the crowd booed and jeered, while a small handful averted their gaze for fear of being given up as associates of William. William breathed heavily, fuming with anger. His anger quickly turned to fear when he saw the crowd part and make a path as the stranger approached. He quickly stood to his feet and looked his fearless leader in the eyes. "'It's lies!' he exclaimed with a crack in his voice. "'Bonturo is nothing but a liar. "'I would never dream of stealing from you or your order.' "'Save your words,' interrupted the stranger with a soothing tone. "'I know the truth about you. "'I know your kind. "'I know what you do.' and how you work. William stood in silence as the stranger slowly approached. The crowd remained silent as well as they formed a large circle around the traitor. The only sounds heard in the entire encampment were that of the eternally crackling bonfire and the sounds of the stranger's heavy footsteps. I fear for my people he said, looking at William. But only when my people are like you. If I show mercy on you who has stolen, then what is to stop others from going down the same path? The stranger walked along the edges of the crowd, stopping at the first set of eyes that looked away. Those of a young woman. Guilt hides me from your eyes. He placed a gentle hand on her shoulder, prompting a heavy gasp and a shudder from her. He clenched his large hand tightly, causing the young woman to cry out in pain as his thumb and fingers curled under and around her collarbone. She whimpered, as he threw her into the center of the crowd to take her place alongside William. The crowd ooed and awed over his choice of the young woman and his actions. He continued making his way through the audience. Predatorial was the only word to describe his cadence. Like a shark. He stopped as he came upon a young boy, also shielding his eyes. Your age will not save you, said the stranger, without laying a finger on the child. Take your place among the guilty. The boy looked at his leader, tears in his eyes, terror in his heart, and a lack of air in his lungs. A few seconds passed as he silently pleaded for the mercy that would not be granted. A moment passed before accepting his fate and taking his place beside William and the young woman. One more, said the stranger as he looked around. Everyone in the crowd was looking at him now. 
Bonchoro, he continued, you cannot hide your guilt from the eyes of the innocent. There is no room for extortion here. Take your place as well. Bonchoro lowered his head in shame and obeyed, taking his own place beside William. Before taking his leave, the stranger ordered four large cauldrons to be placed in the flames at the edge of the fire. In each cauldron, a thick black pitch boiled. The grafter, the extortionist, and those who chose to follow stood in large wrought-iron cages, none of them aware of the fate that lay before them at the hands of the stranger. The crowd of onlookers waited patiently. The stranger returned with a cart full of long metal spikes and three large hammers. He selected the three strongest men in the crowd and equipped them each with a hammer. These four, he yelled to the crowd, as he turned to look at William, the young woman, the small boy, and Bonchuro, are all guilty of grafting, embezzling, stealing from this community, from you, from me. Their punishment will not be swift, and it certainly will not be merciful. The three men with hammers approached the first cage. They pulled William from it and forced him to the ground in front of the first cauldron. Two of them held his arms down, extended like wings of a dove in flight. The third man walked over to the cart and grabbed three spikes. He threw one down beside each of his men before taking his own place at William's violently kicking feet. William cried out in pain. The crowd cringed, forcing themselves to watch the men nail the banker to the ground. The hammers crashed down out of unison with each other as the blood of greed sprayed into the air, the sounds of the earth cracking as the spikes were driven further into it, the clanks of the hammers, and the grunts of the men created a symphony of violence that no one, not even the stranger, could find any sort of delight in. William Johnson continued to weep for several minutes after the whole ordeal before finally closing his eyes one last time. The men continued with the executions until all guilty parties were dealt with. By the time the crucifixions were finished, many of the crowd were brought to tears. Some were even so shocked they lost consciousness altogether. The ordeal continued as the men walked over to the first cauldron, they poured the boiling pitch over William's dead body, covering him completely. They repeated the process with the three remaining pots, 
covering the child, the woman, and Bonchuro. The encampment stayed where it was for twenty-one days, and as they left, everyone was ordered to walk on the remains of those found guilty of grafting. <laughs>